Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of the Ecom Show. And today I'm here with two co-founders of uh, I Suspect Health, um, Scooter and Greg from Florida. And uh, with one of their team members as well, Nico. And I'm happy to have them here today. They have a CBD business. And unlike most of our guests, they are not just B2C, but B2B as well, and even uh, B2 government, let's say. So let's see their story today. Hey, everyone, how are you guys? What's going on, Daniel? Thanks, uh, thanks for having us on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So, guys, um, I checked your story on the website. You love hockey, right? That's the... That's, that's your origin. Tell us more about hockey, because to be honest, I don't know much about it. Yeah, so I played, um, we've all, most of the people at the company, most of the partners of the company played growing up, and that's how kind of we met through hockey. Um, there's another partner, uh, Jeff, who played with Greg, I think, when he was later in the teenage years, maybe 17 or 18, and um, we came after uh, the season was over, we kind of all three kind of started hanging out um, when he came to California for the summer and kind of the rest is history. So I played at the University of Michigan um, for four years in college. And then after that, I played professionally for eight years and kind of the um, the basis of the product kind of stems from me playing hockey. I had a really bad injury my uh, rookie season when I was under contract with the San Jose Sharks. I shattered my elbow, ended up needing to have four surgeries in three weeks. They put me on a bunch of opioids, liquid morphine. They were just, just Lyrica for my nerve damage. It was, uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to open my hand again because my hand was clined. So I actually got off of all the stuff they put me on and started then diving more into cannabis, maybe making my own CBD salves, all natural bombs and, and whatnot. And kind of, uh, it, it kind of evolved from there into Greg and I opening a uh, farm in central Florida during my playing years and then evolving into the manufacturing side of the business. And now where we're at doing kind of the international export and going B2C as well as B2B with I suspect down in Florida. Yeah. When was your injury? What was, what year was it? Um, it was 2011 september okay and uh i'm just curious uh, how much time it took for you to launch the business from from that point uh well from that point um the business didn't officially launch until december of 2018 but uh for the seven years in between that time um i was playing professional hockey and we made some investments into the farm system where we uh do our cultivation and whatnot for our products mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I solicited Scooter. We were um, at, at a kind of a crossroads where we needed some more money um, and we, we didn't want to raise external capital. So we just kind of went for friends and family. And then I called Scooter. I said, listen, like, you know, we, we both kind of been interested in the cannabis space. Um, you know, at the time we'd applied for one of the first cannabis licenses in Florida. I believe this was 2015. 
uh, we didn't get it. So we were uh, taking more money on to build out the uh, tomato business, actually. So we have a few different properties. And then that's kind of when this whole thing started. So we actually started selling tomatoes, microgreens and, and you know, produce mm. products um, into hotels in the Orlando, Tampa, Miami areas. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I reason why I'm asking, because I think it's good if the listeners, they can see that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it didn't take like three months to build this whole thing, but much more time, right? After you. Yeah. So, and I know many founders who are in the health space, they have an injury, they have some kind of illness and that's their original motivation to get started. But many times they don't even know it could be a business. It takes time to realize that or there is a, you know, a big audience for that uh, product. Um, so why CBD? Because, you know, there are so many options out there. Um, yeah. I think from the athletic perspective, you know, you have some banned substances, you know, on the THC side of things and those cannabinoids. So I think CBD, we saw a, a necessity for it through everyone throughout the world. I think not just people who are looking for that psychoactive uh, factor and, you know, getting high or, or whatever they're looking for during using that recreation, recreationally. I think CBD with its all its properties and how it works together with all the other cannabinoids is kind of so universal that we saw a necessity for it through everyone, not just athletes or not just people that were going through that were looking to obviously get high with the THC, but through everyone universally could find some benefits through using CBD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, it was the right time to jump into this niche because like five, 10 years ago, it was uh, not as mainstream as nowadays, right? Yeah. And then a year ago, there's so many companies. So it's uh, depending on when you got in kind of, kind of influence of probably how successful you are. Mm -hmm. So how did you get started? How did you get the first contracts, the first customers? We first started in 2018. I believe we uh, actually how we started, we were working with another company, uh, Simply Hemp, I believe is their name. And one thing led to another. We parted ways and started ISOSpec. Uh, I think that was the right immediately following 2018 Thanksgiving. So right around December 1st. Um, how we, I think, interestingly enough, looking back into it, we got into the business and our first contract was actually doing CBD infused bath bombs for a company out of uh, Boca Raton. Um, if I, I believe, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, but I think we started doing CBD bath bombs for a company called Hemp Boca, which is it's just funny thinking about these companies and naming them because I believe along with Simply Hemp, Hemp Boca is no longer in business anymore. Just the revolving door of CBD companies. And so that's like, I kind of on the manufacturing side is our niche is kind of how we've had people success about over the last four or five years. But um, I believe bath bombs and our first contract was to a woman owned CBD business ran out of Boca Raton in Florida. Yeah, I, I think you're right, man. I think, I think it was them. And then after that is when we started talking to Mike about, um, you know, partnering with them and the facilities to, to start, you know, manufacturing for, for for the sports community yeah our other third partner is a, a young a man by the name of mike barowitz who was my personal trainer um while i was at school at university of michigan and during my whole pro career he has several phds masters in nutrition physiology all that stuff kind of deal with sports so he kind of on the back end has helped us develop all of our products 
and he has several gyms across you know florida and nationwide where our products sell out of and we kind of that's how we kind of got started specifically for the cbd products made for performance or professional athletes because me being a professional athlete and then mike barwitz being our business partner we have access to a lot of professional athletes who are looking for alternative ways to recover and get back so they can train their hardest without you know missing time with being sore or with injuries or, or what have you, the recovery process that the CBD was able to give an athlete and myself at the time. And what Mike kind of developed was, you know, to be able to get back into that competition performance shape or recover an injury or whether it be swelling of muscles as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So my next question is about the product. So, you know, there are so many brands out there white labeling different products, but if I know it right, you manufacture your own products and, uh, and how does it work? How can someone even do it? Can you repeat the question? Sorry, kind of, kind of cut out there a yeah. little bit. Sure, sure. So if I know it right, then you manufacture the products, uh, you produce them. Unlike many brands or most CBD brands who just white label other products. And uh, I'm just curious, how does it work? How can someone, you know, just start doing that? Um, kind of, we, with the investment in the farm back in, I think, what was that, 2015, um, we've been in this space for, you know, a little over, you know, about, you know, seven to eight years. So I think kind of to cut cost and to, you know, be as efficient as possible, we started on the manufacturing side and we were working with um, the man, the formulator on Simply Hemp, which is the company we were with before. And we just kind of went from there and started doing some trial and error, working with formulators like Mark Barwitz, as you said, and kind of working with people in the industry. But it kind of was an efficiency of kind of saving us money of doing everything in-house. And then we were able to do a little bit because there is really – like you said, if you go back five, 10 years ago, there's really nothing that existed like that. So for formulating the CBD and the cosmetic products, which we're simply doing, you have to do a little bit of trial and error. You know, you have to see what's oil soluble with the products because the CBD is a base is oil soluble. So if you're adding it to a lotion based product, you're probably going to have to have a high shear mixer to make sure every blends together. There's just a little, lots of tips and then the tricks of the trade that you learn as you go along the way. But I think the efficiency of doing it ourselves in house and how we had access to have a formulator like Mike Barowitz and then with the Simply Hemp connection before we were able to do it in-house, which is, mm-hmm. I think, which definitely separates us from other people because, like we said, we've been audited a few times. We have our CGMP regulation, our FDA regulation to make sure that we can do everything that we're doing in our laboratory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Daniel, I will tell you that when we first did our very first one, we did it in the kitchen. So Scooter and I saw a video and people were asking for salves, I think, and we didn't know what it was. So we watched some YouTube videos. This is, I don't even know, 20, this is before we even started the company. And we're like, I can't be that hard to make. So we ended up doing a bunch of this in the, in the kitchen of, of one of the places that, that, that we lived at. So that, that was yeah. the very first thing. And then from there, we, we've actually come a long way as far as like regulatory and compliance goes. So we went from kind of the kitchen to a bigger space to, you know, a lab that has GMP um, for, for OTC Pharma to, you know, um, clean rooms, fume hoods, that, that sort of thing. So it's kind of gone full circle. Yeah. Yeah, you are not the first uh, business who, you know, who's saying this to me. Like I know in the supplement space, I talk to many different founders. They just started out in the kitchen and uh, they just 
came up, came up with something great, something very tasty, and people liked it, and they just scaled it. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a common story. Um, so, to the listeners, tell um, more about the structure of your business, because it's not just a pure B2C business, but I know you have different branches of this business and, and different contracts. So just from a bird eye view, how, you know, how does it look like? Um, so our, our corporate office is, is here in Fort Lauderdale. Um, it's where we do the most of our, our manufacturing. Um, we also have offices um, in Australia and on the Gold Coast, um, where we, we use that as another strategic sell point. Um, we also have an office in Sao Paulo, Brazil, um, in Goiás, um, as well as in uh, Colombia and Paraguay. So each one of those kind of operates its own isospec business within the, the rules and regulations of those countries. But all the products, for the most part, are manufactured here and then shipped there and then distributed or sold direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. And how do these countries or how are these countries different, uh, especially Brazil from Australia, uh, the U.S., the regulations, the, the products, the market? Uh, each, each country is completely different. Um, mm -hmm. Brazil being probably the, the most medical market that there is. So in the Brazilian market, um, we are not allowed to have products in country. So, uh, Daniel, if you were to go get a prescription from us or, or like you want cannabis products, you would have to go to your physician. The physician would then have to prescribe you that product. You would have to fill out all your forms, submit it to the government. Then we would receive it from the government. Then we would have to ship you that product from the United States. Mm, okay. So basically, it's a, is it a medicine? Can we call it a medicine in Brazil? Yes, it, it is a medicine. Um, you know, and then we are in the process of doing one of our drug registrations. So you, you can also get your products registered like, like a drug. Um, like in the U.S., there's a, a drug called Epidiolox, um, mm -hmm. which is made by a pharma company um, and then uh, prescribed and held in the pharmacy. Uh, we're in the process of doing that for, for some of our products also. So in the U.S., it will be a uh, medicine as well no so in in the u.s it, it's it's just over the counter or, or like you could just buy it online but the yeah. exact same products um are sold as a prescription drug in brazil and in australia how does it work so the australian market is very similar also however we're allowed to import in bulk so we ship um there, you know, a pallet full of goods to ourselves in into our Australian office, where everything is met with, with, with GMP compliance, and we follow all the, the TGA guidelines for holding narcotics. So our facility is up to code for um, the, the the medical wholesale of a narcotic product, mm -hmm. and then yeah. we'll sell to a distributor. Thanks for answering these questions. I know not everyone would answer these uh, because, <laughs> you know. It, especially in the US, I know the FDA is very strict about it. So, so yeah. Um, and when it comes to marketing, so what's your strategy there? Because it seems to me that there are so many branches, so many parts of your business. Yeah, there are. It, it, it does obviously kind of depend on country and, and whatnot. With the Australian and obviously the Brazilian market, them being so similar on being at medical base, um, one thing that we are is we're kind of going after the doctors' networks and trying to and trying to get in with the doctors, hopefully 
kind of like a pharmaceutical rep would work in the United States, giving them the spill on your product, why your big product would be good to their patients, and then give them, the therefore, the material that they're able to show their patients and why they should use the Isospec brand. Um, one thing uh, coming up, I think, and Greg will be able to touch base a little bit this more, is uh, using an application in the Brazilian market through a little bit of, through a little bit of telemedicine is something that we've been doing for marketing uh, of going the kind of the B2C route, more so on the Australian side of the, it's not Australian, sorry, on the Brazilian side of the market. Yeah, so for, for from a marketing perspective, um, each country is different um, and allowing what you can and can't say. Um, in Australia, we, we can't say anything. There, there, there's no marketing is permitted. Um, we are allowed to have sales reps go in and talk to physicians and leave um, like brochures kind of, uh, kind of like Scooter said, a prescription model here in the U.S. Um, but we, we can't make any claims um, or, or anything like that. And then in the Brazilian market, you're allowed to do a little more marketing, which, I mean, we, we don't do a ton of, but it's kind of the same um, educational uh, procedure for doctors. And then to, to take that one further, we ended up partnering with a tech company to, to try to put together um, a, an easier platform to simplify the prescription process and, and buying process. We, we'd like to design something like Amazon but where you can get your prescription and do all of the paperwork all in one place and then place your order. Yeah, makes sense. So it's a very hardcore B2B sales, actually, uh, especially in Australia where you cannot market it. Yes. Uh, so I'm curious what you can see, how open physicians are to these products, because, you know, I am here in Europe and I'm pretty sure, at least in my country, most of them, they wouldn't be open to it or, or you know, they just, yeah, they are just not as open to it. But how about in these countries? What can you see? Uh, I, I mean, I'll talk about Brazil. I mean, we, we got some pushback uh, a few years ago when we started, um, like a highly religious Catholic country, you know, mm-hmm. so you, you, you can obviously understand the pushback from it. But there's been a lot of you know, good results and they, they really like to, to follow what the United States does. So in the last, like, I would say four or five months, it, people have been a lot more open to prescribing um, CBD uh, and, and medical cannabis products. Mm, okay. So. And uh, how many products do you have in total? Um, quite, quite, quite a few under, under the, the, the various brands, like, like mm. probably like hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, depending on the country, depending on, you know, you can have a cream with seven or to eight different scents, depending on that, and a lotion with the same. So I'd say, yeah, around 100, give or take, depending on the country. I'd say the big ones and the big products, you go cream, lotion, salve, or, uh, or tincture, gummies, and I'd say those are the big five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you try to approach a physician or, or, or you know, uh, let's say potential buyer, then do you push one product or you just show them the whole collection? How, I would how say do... it's more conversational. Um, you know, so what, what's allowed depending on what country. So like if we're going to like, I don't know, like, like the, the UK, for instance, or Europe, um, if we're going to, I'll just say the UK, um, they're allowing topicals in. So our conversation has to be pushed more along the lines of topicals um, versus doing something that that's oral because it's based on re- the, the regulatory compliance of what's allowed in the country. So then we would push those. And then, you know, we, we obviously try to push products that, that we think will move better in those markets. Yeah. And do you start with some kind of education at the beginning or, or you 
show them the products right off the bat? What education we've kind of found has been a little easier leading in with kind of uh, here's kind of how you should read a COA, what are good products, uh, what are the natural ingredients, a good amount of milligrams per milliliter per ounce of what you're doing, kind of give them the education piece and then be like, oh, by the way, uh, I suspect product, their lines, they all fall under these regulatory guides is kind of what we've had a little bit more success in over the last uh, probably five years of kind of being on the education standpoint and going in with learning and being an educator, more so of pushing our specific products down the throat after you educate them they can you kind of have the basis of what they're looking for something that might interest them from that uh, from that standpoint yeah you also have to understand like the the, the legal uh, side you know when we're talking to like if we're talking to someone in budapest we, we would have to you know have the attorneys look at what is permissible and you know um, from a labeling standpoint it's also very important because if it says something wrong then the the, the import will be denied um and then you won't get your product mm. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, it's also a very, you know, sensitive product in that legal, from that legal perspective. So yeah, it makes sense. Hey, Budai Nation. Welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic. So it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. I'm also curious if there is a certain area in medicine or, uh, yeah, in medicine, uh, or, you know, certain type of physicians that you approach um, or, or any kind I, of physician. Back and spine doctors um, okay. have, have seen podiatry. Mm-hmm. Um, physical therapists, obviously, if you're, in a, if you're in a gym setting where you're dealing with athletes, that's kind of something that's kind of in our bread and butter and our niche. But um, as of lately, too, this one's kind of been different. Um, medical spas, places that do like the women's treatment for micro needling, um, stuff like that. We've had some success with as of late. Yeah. And then in, in the Brazilian market. So I, I kind of, you know, defer to Brazil because I, I end up dealing a little bit more with Brazil um, is we do like a lot of autism. Um, like it's an alternative treatment. I don't want to say treatment, but but like um, supplement for for autistic children and people so like that's been a big uh, market for us also yeah how does it help autism that uh, it to be very you know distant space yeah so it's um you know there it helps in a lot of different ways when, when when people are on the spectrum um so it really depends on where you are on the spectrum but um a lot of the people tell us that it helps them with their children to stay focused and on a task better or it'll help them actually uh eat better um or, or like eat at when they're supposed to eat so um just just with staying on task yeah mechanism of action i don't have an answer for that but um it, it's that that's kind of been the general feedback mm-hmm. yeah. Got, yeah to build on that just the feedback that i've kind of gotten is this kind of the same as yet as gut health um and being able mm-hmm. to have- you know, get, get a little bit better nutrition, be able to hold that down um, and, and eat more on a consistent basis. And then um, sleep, sleep, kind of falling to sleep and staying asleep is something that um, um, the kids on the spectrum, you know, have some trouble, difficulties with. Um, I've heard some success. I'm not making any claims. I'm not saying anything of that sorts, but some of our customers have been saying it helps them, you know, not only get to sleep, but stay asleep and have more consistent sleep. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of things uh, where these products can help. 
Um, I would ask a few more personal questions on your side. So in the past more than 10 years, right? So what was the biggest challenge for you to build this business? And maybe let's go one by one scooter. What was the biggest challenge for you? Um, I think scaling without scaling with ourselves, we didn't take any outside money. We kind of did this whole scaling thing with ourselves. And when you scale on yourselves, when you physically make the products, I know we've dealt, I've had some friends that are, have product-based companies, but they're getting their products made, whether it's clothing or, or what have you somewhere else. When you have the raw ingredients going with it, um, it, it kind of poses some difficulties. So I think from my side, handling more of the operation size, it's figuring out a good inventory management software to be specific to our business since we are physically making the products, you know, when we're adding surfactants, adding emulsifiers, adding these different things to make a lotion bases, you know, there's a lot of different aspects, getting the raw ingredients set, making sure the equipment's working and then getting to a phase, you know, like, like Greg said, we started doing stuff in the kitchen where we were just using a stove and some Pyrex closets. Yeah. Like we were in a rap videos kind of thing. And then move into, you know, magnetic hot plates to agitators that heat and cool to, you know, agitators from the different size of 50 liters to 500 liters, just kind of making those jumps, figuring out how to use the equipment, figuring out how to make standard operating procedures. So when I'm not around that I can have someone in the house to do the run, the equipment for me. It's kind of the challenges that I've seen. Um, moving forward just kind of from my being an operations guy what i've seen has been on that that forefront have you never thought about just white label someone else's product it would be so much easier i guess uh like have someone else white label our products yeah yeah just you know uh, yeah just um put your label on it and just make the branding We've uh, no, just because no, and I only say that because I'd say ninety percent of our U.S. business is made of uh, using our laboratories and our formulations and making other people. So I, we see the like we in a perfect world, a hundred com- CBD companies pop out in Florida this year and keep, and keep success, and we are making all of it. So yeah, kind of see the value of being a manufacturer more so just being a brand. So I think that we very early in our process knew that we had Isospec as our brand, but our real business was on the manufacturing side. Yeah. Makes sense. It's, it, it's, it has been the core since the early days, right? Correct. Yeah. Being able to make products and be able to do that in house is kind of, like I said, our first contract was making the bath bombs wholesale for that woman's company at a broker mm-hmm. Raton. So that's kind of been our business model from day one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg, what was your biggest challenge? So I, I would say probably the same as Scooter, um, but, but for, for different reasons. I think scaling is always difficult. Um, for, from, a, from a selling standpoint, you have to make sure you have enough small customers with big customers. And then if you have too many big customers and you can't fill your order, then you cannibalize your business. So it's kind of finding that happy medium um, while still expanding. And like, like Scooter said, we, we took no external capital and we don't like using debt, so we, we won't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's pretty much like you go back to back until you get to a certain level that you can you know, effectively you know, scale your business. But I mean, we've been going back to back for five years now, six years. Um, but it, it's growing, but I mean, with, with the growing pains are like, you, like, look, you can't pay yourself, Scoot. Like I can't pay you for the first four years, which is the worst part. Because, you know, everyone, Scooter played professional hockey before. And before this, I, I had a, like a very, you know, high-ranking sales job. Um, 
and like you just go from making you know a couple hundred thousand five four or five hundred thousand to, to like nothing for like a good couple of years for five years so i think that's the hardest part um going from like the, the the money ego to no money for a while and then from a business perspective it, it's the, the scaling mm-hmm. yeah, so that's that. that for me that's that's what it is yeah i know many people who wouldn't uh you know wouldn't do this jump uh in terms of their their finances like i <clears throat> i have a friend maybe he's listening to this one and he works uh, for Google in California and he has a very solid, um, very good salary there. And he wants to start a startup, but he's thinking about it because of the great salary. So Mm -hmm. yeah, makes sense. It's tough. I mean, like just for instance, like, I mean, I played professional hockey, which you only get paid six months a year. So your salary looks like it's double you are because you're only getting paid during those six months but you know you go from doing that to living on your buddy's couch to you know to like i just like we we just got health insurance a year ago as a, <laughs> as a company so you know the, the yeah. of you know being taken care of and dealing with the best doctors going because i was paying professional sports to uh, i could probably have to make sure i'm wearing a mouth guard when i'm when i'm riding my bike down the street just in case i fall off because i'm not yeah. gonna going to have the best health insurance to help do that so it's just kind of being able to swallow your pride and if you're if you are fine with that then there's no problem so, you know eating it but you know it'd be a lot tougher if i had a newborn and a wife that i had to support that would be kind of very difficult as well so it's kind of you kind of got to be lucky or you have to take some seed money or some investment money and so it's kind of everyone's situation's different but those definitely were some harder moments for us but we were able to kind of we were lucky we were at the time everyone was single when we were starting up and didn't have any kids to deal with so it was uh just how right just worrying about feeding your own mouth is easier than three or four not many people talk about it but i think when you are young and single it's much easier Um, yes i I would agree for sure man yeah Yeah. what's that expression um salary is the simplest way to kill a man's dream or something you know like i So something along those lines, I heard it like it was like Kevin O'Leary or someone that said that. And when you think about it, you're like, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just convenience in general, um, especially if you spend that money um, and Mm -hmm. you have a very good lifestyle and it's very hard to, you know, get rid of it for a while. Um, So, guys, you you've learned so many things uh, in this business and and i'm curious how you learn these things like the product itself your uh, distribution and sales operations you know building the team do you have a mentor do you have mentors or do you follow podcasts i don't know um yeah how do you learn in general i think for for me um yeah yes mentors wise um just anywhere you can find one whether that be you know, someone that you meet along the way that's been in finance, like my dad works sales for Pepsi. So he's helped us out with the distribution and that and the sales avenues and stuff like that, or just kind of people you meet along the way. And then reading is a big thing that I know I kind of picked up from Greg more so than anything is, you know, that's when you're out of school, just reading books, picking up, whether that be, you know, some Dan Selvelin material of learning how to, you know, greater impact your business or whether that be a philosophy book, just, you know, greater expanding your mind on stuff like that. So I think reading and then, you know, keeping an inner circle of people who are what I like to call like everyone that I kind of 
ideally talk to on a regular basis is better than me. Is, is more accomplished, is older, has has done something that like I haven't done yet or that I strive to do. So, you know, surrounding yourselves with people who for lack for a lack of a better word are better than you is gonna therefore put you up to their level and make you a better person as well. So I think, you know, reading the mentor aspect. And then I think Greg and I actually talk about this a lot. Um, someone saying they're going to do something for us and then them not doing it. And then us having to do it ourselves is probably the, the best way that we've learned like that incident we had with simply him when we were supposed to team up with them to, you know, kind of that ending just that's the way we start I suspect. So we thought we were, you know, acquiring or joining a company and then that didn't happen. So we started our own. And I think on the product side of things, I think that's kind of why we make our own products is not even have to deal with anyone else. We have the farms, we're able to cultivate, we're able to manufacture and we're able to produce because we have the lab. So we're kind of not leaving anything up to chance. Obviously, there's a lot more risk and upfront cost and you know challenges with making the products doing the labels getting the boxes doing the e-commerce on top of everything like that of, of doing it yourself but i think you leave less up to chance once you've kind of figured out a way to master those things if, if you're doing it all in-house and doing it you're all, all yourself yeah yeah it sounds like you use multiple sources of knowledge and uh yeah probably the main thing i would highlight here is uh who you surround yourself with um the top yeah. five people is that is a saying about it i forgot but yeah you, you are the average of yeah. the people you interact with the most so if you're you know with smarter people than you or are people that are where you want to be I, i feel like they they rub off onto you and you know if, if you do find the right mentor like you know you we try to attach our cart to their horse you know and just kind of just roll with what they say and you know blindly follow for a while until we figure it out mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, Greg, so you are a big reader. Yeah, I read. I read quite a bit. Um, you know, my my brother actually is a lawyer and got me into reading a lot more. Um, got me into philosophy, and then I just started reading, and the 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 better conversations I had with like intellectuals and successful people. Whereas if I didn't read those books, there, there's a lot of things that I couldn't contribute to a conversation. So I just felt mm-hmm. like it would help me get ahead and to where that I want it to be. Yeah. And these are business books or, uh, or not, not just strictly business books. No, I, like I said, a lot of philosophy and, and a lot of business. Um, I love autobiographies. I like kind of why I'm assuming you do the podcast is I love to hear other people's stories. You know, everyone's kind of got their own story. Um, and like, if you meet people that are, you know, very wealthy or like, you know, doing something, it's always interesting to find out how they got to where they are and kind of their trials and tribulations, because I feel like a lot of the stuff that they went through is the same stuff that we go through, just, you know, at a different time and place or with a different widget, but I find it interesting. Yeah, and uh, I think if you do sales or you interact with, you know, wealthy business people, then it helps a lot if you are not just educated, but you you have a, you know, wide vocabulary and, and you have knowledge from different areas, as you said, philosophy or, uh, you know, not just strictly business, but mm-hmm. other things as well. Um, yeah. So my last question to you guys, and uh, again, I will ask you separately, what would be your number one advice to someone who is just starting out and let's say they are in a supplement niche, maybe medicine niche, and uh, they are motivated maybe because of their own injury or, or, or illness, whatever. 
and uh, you know they want to come up with a product that helps other people as well. Um, my advice would be to learn every aspect of everything that you're doing. Um, not like completely, but you should know all parts of the business. And if you're making a supplement, I think you should know kind of what goes in the supplement and why. And you should yeah. have some, you know, prior knowledge to that and, and kind of just learn everything that you can about the business so you can figure out what you specialize in. And then you'll be, it'll be easier for you to outsource what you need to and then figure out how you need to be successful for what you do. So figure out everything mm -hmm. along your business and then figure out what you want to do, figure out what needs to be outsourced and what you want to do should be what you're probably good at. So. Yeah. And would you involve a uh, physician from the early days or because maybe some people, at least I, I met a few people like this, you know, they have a personal program, pro problem with their health. They find a solution for it, but then they think or they believe it helps everyone else, which is, you know, we, we are, our bodies are different and they have a blind spot about around it. Let's say, you know, they, they really believe it helps everyone while it doesn't. Uh, yeah. Would yeah. You, yeah. I would, yeah. I would say, do, I would say do your market research, you know, like if you're just solving your own problem and it doesn't solve a problem for everybody else, I would say this is a bad business, but you know, if you're like, Oh, like this really helped me with pain. How, how many people experience pain? You're like, mm -hmm. well, probably everybody. So then, you know, your, your sample market size is massive as opposed to, you know, something super specific. So I would just say like a standard market analysis, probably like one of the most important things to see if this is a viable business, you know, mm -hmm. followed by pricing out whatever it is that you're doing and the total costs associated with running that product. Yeah. 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 makes sense. But knowing all aspects of you like, like, and like, yeah, knowing that too, like Greg and I obviously have handled different things for the company, but to get to the point of how we handle those things, we have to know everything like and not like perfectly but you have to kind of know where it's coming from how that affects your business even if you're not you know an accountant you should know how to minorly look at quickbooks and you know do some balance reconciliation yeah. stuff like that because it's going to be a necessity for you if you don't know you don't know if you're getting screwed over by miko who's doing it on the side or if he's messing with media <laughs> or, or what's going on so it's best if you know something so you have a at least a general sense of what's going on yeah 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 yeah, finances is a good example because we also have, we, you know, we have a finance team or, or two people for now almost two years, but I still check it every week because you never know. So, and finances is crucial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Greg, what would you say? Oh, uh, just, just going back to Scooter's point is, is know your business inside and out. And, and like to, to your other point was like, make sure that you know you're solving a problem that has a good sample size and then price it and make sure you can make money. Because I mean, like, like you said, you could have the best product in the world, but you're not making money because your, your cost of goods are too high and you could be selling millions. And th there's plenty of companies out there right now that took money, raised money. Um, are, are operating at a loss because they, 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 they can't figure out how to get their costs down. So yeah. just figure out your, your cost of goods and figure out if you can make money and then do something that you're, you're good at, like Scooter said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you generate cash, if you have sales, it can save the day. Uh, even mm -hmm. if you have, you know, maybe your business is not as efficient as your competitor, but if they don't make sales and you make them, you are better 
uh, at least for a while. That, that I mean, that happened for us, man. We, we didn't do great numbers for, for the longest time, but like mm-hmm. we, we still made money because we mm-hmm. didn't overextend and, and we, you know, we manufactured and we priced everything. So I, I believe, like, I truly believe that helped us stay in business for, for those first three years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when we had bad times with my company, with my agency, uh, I just simply went to our team and I told them just figure out how to make more money. Uh, I don't care if you're a designer <laughs> or account manager, salesperson, it doesn't matter. Just make money because yes. that's how we survive. So, yeah. yeah. You got to keep the, got to keep the lights on Daniel. So whatever it is, you know, and for us, like even when COVID happened, we're like, dude, are people going to want to buy CBD products when there's, you know, this, this going on? We're like, no. So we, we allocated a bunch of cash to buying masks and other things. So we sold mm-hmm. those. You know, yeah. it's not CBD. It's just like you have to pivot as a small business um, yeah. with whatever happens. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great tip. Um, yeah. So thanks, uh, Scooter, Greg, and Nico for uh, coming here today, sharing your story, the story of Isospec Health. If you want to buy their products, go to isospechealth.com and contact them. Um, they are mostly in B two B, but if anyone uh, who listens to this podcast and uh, B2B or you're a physician in uh, US, Brazil, I think you said Paraguay, Australia, then uh, anywhere, man, anywhere that you want, we, 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 we probably sell it. So yeah, Hungary, <laughs> never uh, been to Hungary, but yeah, um, we need more CBD here, by the way, we barely have, and I don't know why. Um, yeah, I'll shoot it. If you can find out who we talk to, we would love to import it. Yeah, um, that's another discussion. Uh, yeah, discussion for another day. But I, I'm just saying, if, if there is, this is how we've got into like Lithuania, like a lot of countries was just not podcast per se, but someone being like, hey, like we tried your product in the States and we want to get it here. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Yeah. So we figure it out. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So thanks again, everyone. And thanks again to the listeners. And uh, besides their website and their contacts, I will also put a uh, free link into the description, which is a 50-point email marketing checklist. That's what we use with our clients. Anyone can go there and download it. I will, uh, yeah, it will help you a lot. And thanks again, everyone. Stay tuned. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel.